You're listening to Little Green Cheese, episode 96. Well, welcome back, Curd Nerds. I'm Gavin Webber, and this podcast is where you can learn about cheese making at home. Today, we've got a lovely guest uh, all the way from Cambodia uh, in Southeast Asia. His name is John Wilson, and he's part of a duo who run a cheese factory in Kampot uh, in Cambodia, home of the famous, world famous Kampot pepper. Anyway, let's have a listen to. What John has done in Cambodia, uh, he has, with his partner, created a cheesemaking factory uh, where there was none before, and they make lots of French-style cheeses in Southeast Asia, where there is a growing market, uh, thankfully. Uh, Cheese is not a big part of the culture, in Southeast Asia. However, uh, John and his partner has indeed launched and uh, a lot of the customers at the moment are expats, uh, as you'll hear uh, and see in the podcast. All right, over to the interview with John. So here he is. Hello, John. How are you? Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me. No problems at all. Now, what's that accent? Uh, English originally. But oh. I grew up in Cambodia, so it might have faded over the time. Uh, over time. Yeah, I, I, I found it a little bit hard to pick. But, yeah, lovely to see you, mate. You run a artisan cheese factory. What's it called? It's called the Cavignac and Wilson. Uh, yeah. Cavignac is my business partner, Chris Cavignac. Um, he arrived a couple of years ago, and uh, we had this chat, like, out of nowhere. And, like, he wanted, he needed to find something to do. I had looked up how to make cheeses before and like we just like it was a perfect match basically yeah fantastic so where is, where's the the factory is the factory in campot yep yeah the factory is in campot but the farm is about 100 kilometers away from here all right like even sorting out the the delivery process for the milk and everything is the uh, is a massive challenge <laughs> especially here like so there's no transportation. Yeah, so there's no, infra- there's no infrastructure to transport that would normally be like like we would yeah, have here exactly. in Australia. Yeah, exactly. So no milk tankers and stuff like that? No, well, they have for the farm, but we, we don't buy enough milk currently to, to, to afford to use it. So at the moment, we have small milk containers, like 50-litre milk jars yep. and uh, some insulating boxes. And we basically put them in uh, in a taxi. He goes to the farm, picks up the milk, and brings it back in the in the boxes. <laughs> that's that's ingenious, mate. Where there's uh, a will, there's a way, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great. Um, <laughs> so, what kind of cheeses do you make? Um, camembert, brie, like a lot of French style cheeses. My uh, my business partner is French, and uh, I grew up a, a bit in France before coming to Cambodia. So it's bit, it had a big influence on the on my eating needs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like camembert, brie, tom, uh, raclette, saint marcelin, 
Um, we've experimented also with feta and mozzarella, yeah. uh, but they don't prove to be as popular. Uh, our most popular is uh, the camembert so far. We're making a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, we call it camembert the camp box. Right. <laughs> Lovely. Nice. You don't get a cease and desist from camembert to Normandy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know all about oh, that. That was so funny. <laughs> oh, the cheese and desist cheese recipe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really cool. So all those French-style cheeses, you said they're popular there. Is that because was Cambodia part of the uh, French colony um, yeah, it was. World War Two. Yeah, it, it definitely was. I think it, um, it changed mostly after the Khmer Rouge regime in Cambodia, yeah. about uh, 40, 40 years ago. Um, and like a lot of the culture from Cambodia before that is, is it's not vanished. It's still there, but very, it, it's not as apparent anymore. It's, um, it, it really had a massive effect on the country, obviously. Yeah. 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 I've seen the, the documentaries and that sort of stuff on the terrors that happened during Pol Pot's regime. So, yeah. Well, at the same time, everyone, all the Cambod- uh, Cambodians voted uh, voted the the happiest, lost the most smiley country in the world. And it's true everywhere you go, everyone's smiling, everyone's happy, and uh, it's a really lovely place to be. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> Sounds really good. <laughs> so, as far as the French, uh, if, if there's any French culture left. Um, but um, they would love the the French style cheeses. Is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. 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 Exactly. There, there's still a lot of uh, French expats there for sure. Like. Um, so, so the demand for your product. Are you the only sort of French cheesemaker in Cambodia yeah. you know of? Yeah, we are at the moment. There is another. There's a local Khmer uh, that learns how to make uh, cheeses in France, I believe, and she's up in Simrip. Uh, making Italian style cheeses like mozzarella and uh, uh, burrata. We make a lot of burrata, and then yeah, we we make uh, mainly the French style cheeses at the moment. Oh, fantastic! And there's, there's only the two of us in the whole of Cambodia. It's oh, a right. very new opportunity to be able to do this because for a long time there has there, there's been um, no dairy farms in Cambodia. Uh, it's not part of the, the local diets at all. So it's very it's been introduced a couple of years ago and mm. uh, slowly slowly. So uh, it's, it's going, yeah. yeah. So the the dairy that you get your milk from, uh, what sort of cows? What, what breed of cows are they? Uh, they're Frisian Holstein. Right. Uh, yep. They're imported from Australia. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have about five hundred cows there. Yeah. And it's like a state of a state of the art farm. Most of everything is automated. There's like as little human interaction as possible with the cows. Um, but even getting the milk in the beginning was a was a challenge because they didn't want to they didn't want to sell raw milk to individuals. Right. So we were able to buy about forty liters the first time for our first uh, experiments. Yeah. Which was uh, only about the the first one we ever did was only four camemberts following your recipe, your oh. raw raw milk camembert. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> And before that, we, me and uh, my mate didn't really know much about cheese. Like, we, it, it, the good thing in Cambodia is that you have the freedom to have an idea and then execute it without having to worry so much about permissions, licenses, all this. Obviously, we still follow all the, the hygiene standards. Sure. 
but but there's no one that comes and enforces it, and um, uh, it just makes it easier for for every type of business venture. That's fantastic. So why 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 did you make start making cheese in the first place? So you say you and your mate make the cheese, right? Mm-hmm. Why? why? Why did you start? <laughs> well, uh, when it comes down to it, it's basically my love. Oh, well, me and my business partner's love of cheese and the the crazy price of cheese here because uh, there's 45 import ta- uh, 45 percent import tax oh. uh, on on cheeses coming into cambodia yeah so it's like a luxury to be able to have cheese and uh, we saw the opportunity to buy the milk and make it ourselves and it, <laughs> it was perfect for us yeah and yeah, we, we, we would like to also uh, we're trying to get the the price down as cheap as possible for example with the camembert it started at 12 dollars 50 for a 250 gram wheel yeah, and now we're down to eight dollars fifty, and then we're trying to get down to to five dollars eventually to be able to to make it not such a luxurious product. Yeah, well, look over here, even recent um, recent camembert here made by artisan cheese makers is going to cost us about twelve dollars per gram in the world. So, you know, so I think your price point's probably okay. It depends on the um, demographic of the country. I know there's. As far as expats go, they've probably got a bit more cash, maybe yeah, than, sure. than the locals. So, you know, yeah, up, in, up in the capital, like also for sure in Phnom Penh. Yeah, um, there's a lot higher, uh, a lot more higher-paying jobs up there. Uh, in Kampot, for example, it's pretty hard to to make money, even if you're Western, un- unless you're working online. So to be able to make cheese and sell it, and it's like it's a dream. <laughs> I bet it is. So where do you sell it? Uh, a lot of restaurants, uh, a couple of supermarkets at the moment, but it's still very low scale. Um, we've only recently got a cold room, which we're in the process of installing at the moment. Mm. Uh, but otherwise, we're just using fridges, regular fridges. Yeah. Uh, and with small humidifiers and temperature regulators. Uh, so the amount we could produce is um, is very limited at the moment. So you're hoping to scale up once you get that cold room up and out running, yeah? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So when you make a bat, how many litres in total do you make? And what sort of bat do you have? So even the bats, uh, we have about we they're about 50 litres. They're really small ones. So we have to heat the milk in small in like small amounts, then add it together, make sure it's the right temperature, and if not, correct it. And um, like the whole process is, it's already quite a complicated process, but and but this is just adding so many more steps to it, mm. um, which we're trying to. Uh, but it's just the beginning, you know. Like it, it's the same as it is with everything. There's always going to be hiccups along the way that you have to move out. Yeah, exactly. So, how many years have you been producing the cheese for sale now? Uh, we started just over a year ago now. For like the 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 first four camemberts that we made were about yeah fourteen fifteen months ago. Oh, okay, and you've gone from there. So, when- yeah, and now we're we're, we're producing um, we we produce once every fortnight. And uh, it's about 350 liters uh, we order of raw milk. Oh, okay. And we divide it up into uh, camemberts, brie, tom, or raclette, and uh, 
and ricotta at the end of the day. Mm, of course. You'd be, you'd be crazy not to make much butter and sell that as well. Yeah, for sure. An interesting thing I've learned about whey recently is that you can actually turn it into bioethanol. Oh, right. Yeah. So we're, we're actually looking into that to, to reduce our, our waste. And it, we can, you can use it directly in a motorbike. Sorry, I know this is not cheese-related. but No, no, no. That's fine. Kick out. <laughs> So yeah, the, we're, so we're going to start experimenting with that. At the moment, we're just making ricotta with the whey, and then unfortunately, we we just throw it out, like hundreds of liters. But yeah, uh, yeah it, it's definitely been a a, a good year. <laughs> I can say. Yeah. There's some there's some companies here in um, Tasmania in in, uh, in Australia that actually make gin with the whey. So, oh, yeah. yeah, so they so they make that as an alcoholic product and sell that as well. So they got a license to to make the so they get the whey from the local cheesemaker and then make gin out of it as well. Oh wow, that's really interesting. So uh, have you ever tried that? Uh, yes, I have. Delicious, so nice. A nice um, juniper berry flavour to it. Um, you know your typical gin flavour, nice gin flavour. So. Yeah, it's it's delicious. You couldn't tell oh, it was made from whey. I'll have to I have to look that up too. Terms of yeah, like an interesting experiment. Indeed, and I'm not sure what yeast they use. I would have no idea. I know they have to then fill it um, to produce the gin and then add flavourings to the gin. But it, it look it's something, something to think about if you're if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. Especially on like small scale, you have to to try and make something with whatever you have instead of wasting it. Exactly, you know, especially on that small scale, like you said, the last thing you want to do is throw away a byproduct like way. Um, so, as far as challenges go in your production, when, when you first started off, has the production um, methodology changed from when you first started and you've learned stuff as you go along? Tell us about that journey. Well, it. There's diff there's been so many challenges along the way. It's hard to to really <laughs> to to really really say all of them. Uh, I reckon I guess the biggest challenge was in at first getting the the milk in the first place. Yeah. Um, because after we got the first forty liters from the farm, uh, they wouldn't let us buy any more. Basically, they were saying the cows were dry, even though they had five hundred cows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we figured that they probably just didn't want to sell to individuals. Uh, but luckily, a friend of mine that has a spa here in Campot, the owner of the farm actually goes to his spa and he introduced me and I bought him a cheese plate of the cheeses that I had made from his milk and that like won him over completely. And he was oh, like, he was very happy. That's the um, best, yeah. But, but also, uh, cross contamination is is like we had a little hiccup in the in the beginning also with uh, the bee linens bacteria. Yeah, we're on the combat. Um, it, we just used the same fridge uh, as we had used for Tom, and uh, it, it started growing all over the camelbears basically. Yes. Although it didn't, um, they were still delicious. Yeah, we, but it just wasn't camembert. Yeah, you could just call it some other kind of wine cheese. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And there's been a couple also where the camembert for some reason has dried out a bit. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that that was a one-time deal. We just didn't realize um, how easy the cross-contamination happened, basically. 
And uh, we had another another issue like this when we first received the the Rock Forty yeah. mold. We still haven't done any experiments with that, but I just opened the cap inside the the cheese making room, and then a couple of days later, a few of the camemberts inside the fridge started having dots of blue blue mold on them. And we're like, yeah. wow! It's like it just spread. So I've driven down the road. I'm on the riverside now. <laughs> Alrighty, so you've got ample battery and better reception. Yep, I'm using right. uh, the the hostel's Wi-Fi. Oh. <laughs> I love your work, mate. Um, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, so we talked about uh, challenges that you had. So what are some of the best successes and unexpected cheeses that you've managed to produce? Um. The, the best cheese we produce is probably the brie. Um, so we use um, we get the milk in the quantity, and then we skim part of it to make some after that. And then with that cream, we use it for the brie. Oh, and, fantastic! Um, this is actually something we were doing wrong for a while because we were buying UHT cream, uh, very expensive also here. Yeah. And then, but it was giving the brie a really sour, bitter flavor at the end, where and a lot of people. It was just too strong for them. Like yeah. it, was, it was still pretty decent, but it was just like a really strong camembert, basically. Uh, and now that we've realised this, what the problem was, and that we're adding the cream from the skimmed milk for the uh, for the mm. uh yeah. that that's changed everything, and it's uh, it's absolutely beautiful now. Well done, mate. That's a great troubleshooting solution. <laughs> also, like it, it's pretty cool to see. Um, to see locals eating more and more cheese uh they they have this thing here called pohok uh which is like a fermented fish basically but everyone calls it cambodian cheese it's got a really strong pungent smell and they love that <laughs> so like it, it's uh it's it, there's a slow transition to to cheeses also <laughs> from, from <laughs> fish to cheese that's uh, that's, uh... It's basically fish cheese, yeah. It's like you get all the fish, put it in a jar, and then bury it basically for a year. Oh, <laughs> that'd be smelly, wouldn't it? It smells very strong, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> now, before I lost you last time, you were talking about cross-contamination issues. Oh, have yeah. You, have you managed to figure that out and, and fix it all up? Um, so we're taking a lot more care now when uh, when we're using the different bacterias and everything is separated properly. So we have a, a fridge, a, a fridge per type of cheese, basically. Yeah, funny. Exactly what I said, um, as I lost you. I thought, yeah, use one one cheese per type of one fridge per type of cheese, and that'll yeah, exactly. that issue. And the good thing is the. The different generations of the bacteria will give you a unique flavour to your type of cheese. Mm. So you'll have, even though it's it's contaminated in that fridge, you'll get that amazing flavour that will just continue to develop with those cheeses. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's um, especially with uh, with like Tom style cheeses. Mm. Uh, when you continue using the same board, so the bacteria and the everything starts developing in the board itself. As long as you don't use like um, like soap, actual soap, we wash everything with hot water, vinegar, and then dry it in the sun. Yeah, and then put it away quickly after it's dried. Yeah, uh, but by doing that, the 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 bacteria and everything 
of the cheese develops over time and you get a really unique mm. um, type of bacteria that you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, indeed, and especially using raw milk as well, that would add to the flavor profile, yeah? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There, that's also another thing that we didn't realize in the beginning, uh, like very amateur mistake, but we sometimes we were putting the same amount of cultures inside the raw milk and instead of taking about 20 or 40% off. Yeah. And it, they were became, becoming very, very strong also very quickly. Yeah. So there's loads of trial and error. Like we've had... I think we've thrown away maybe about 20 kilos of cheese in, in total just because uh, it was too <laughs> because of mistakes, yeah. Look, you got to learn, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, sure. I don't know if you were watching um, Ruth, uh, the lady from San Francisco, she was talking about a 60% failure rate she had. Oh, and, yeah. and, and she just kept going and learning as she went along. So, yeah, it seems yeah, like you guys are doing the same thing. Oh yeah, but yeah. So persistence is key. Like, if you do something wrong, then do it again and do it right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Learn from your mistakes. Don't do the same thing over and over. Yeah, exactly. Also, this is the like with the notes. Like, um, was was it Tracy? I'm sorry, I'm terrible with name. The last interview you had. Yes, from Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> oh, so like. Persistent. Oh, no, sorry. My train of thought is gone, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Uh, uh, no, you're right. So, so when you when you do make changes, like you have something go wrong, when you make changes, do you just change one thing at a time and then see if that works instead of making 20 changes? And then... Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, uh, and also just sitting there and trying to analyze everything we did in case we did something we weren't supposed to and a lot of the times it, it is actually that we did something we weren't supposed to because we're making so many different cheeses at the same time yeah especially when you take notes that's what i was going to say the importance of taking notes so you can know what you did exactly it is very very important because both for the for the best cheeses that you'll have and for the worst ones you have to know mm. on each side <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Now, making only small batches, what's the most popular cheese? So you say you make quite a few different French styles. So what's the one that just flies off the shelf? It has to be Camembert. Yeah, Camembert yeah. just fly, flies out. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's the first one we started with. I, I feel like it's a pretty easy recipe to start with. There's not too many steps. You just have to take care of it well. Um, and that's why we started with that. Also. Camembert is like the staple in France. Like, if you go to a house, yeah. there's always Camembert. <laughs> yeah. So we we have to have it here. I, I think we must be like we must have eaten the most Camembert <laughs> ever in Cambodia that everyone's <laughs> ever eaten. <laughs> That's fantastic. Hey, as long as you eat your own product, too bad. For sure, for sure. Uh, and there's especially here too. It's growing. Um, uh, people are wanting more and more locally made products, whether it be um, cold cuts or cheeses or alcohol. Uh, there's there's a lot of small artisanal makers that are starting, especially after COVID. It's, yeah. it, it's hard to make money here in the first place, but after COVID, it, it's even it was even harder. So a lot of people have turned to to making their own products and then selling that. And there, there's a there's a small community emerging of uh, artisanal food makers of like any description. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. It's very good. 
that's fantastic. Um, so as far as your most popular cheese, um, which is camembert, uh, how many? I'm trying to think, how many units would you sell on a fortnightly basis? So at the moment, every every production day we make uh, 90, 90 camemberts. So every month we have one hundred and eighty camemberts. Right, and they and then they sell, all sell out, all gone. Yeah, yeah. So are you managing to cover? Your, are you managing to cover your costs at the moment? Um, not really. Not. We're we're still not making much money. Everything that we make goes straight back into buying milk and buying anything else we need. Yeah. Uh, but with with the new cold room, it's going to help that a lot because we can start producing more and more and more. Yeah, so you're basically reinvesting back into the business. Yeah, yeah, basically at the moment. That's a good way to do it, mate. Um, yeah, for sure. From from my personal uh, experience from my own home business, I've been we've been running the e-commerce side of it since 2014, and it was only this year that Kim and I have started to pay ourselves. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If, that's a long time. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, and it does. You know, it depends on how fast you can ramp up, right? If you can ramp up production, like you said, you can. Then you know you should be able to. You know, you should make a living out of it, no yeah. problems at all. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're getting that. <laughs> yeah, too no, right. Yeah. It's so, definitely been a struggle, though. Yeah. Too, so. Are you having trouble yeah, sourcing uh, equipment that is help you make a larger scale? Yeah, for sure. Like um, all the all the commercial cheese making equipment is uh, first of all is expensive in the first place, but then to get here with the transport and then the tax involved on it, it is very difficult. Yeah, are you are you trying to source it from China? Well, we have looked, but but we uh, like the catalog that we have from uh, Kokar in uh, in France, like the mm. the biggest cheese machinery makers. Yeah. Um, they have equipment that that can that can raise the temperature of the milk by a certain temperature at a certain time. So it it makes it so it's like designed for cheese making. And the ones in China they don't have that technology yet. So oh, it's more right. manual a manual process that you would have to do. You would have to heat up five hundred liters of milk by a certain temperature at a certain time, which is it sounds very hard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, a very similar to using a precision cooker at a small scale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. at the moment, we, we have to just heat up everything by do double boiling it, put it in a bigger container so it's all together, and uh, then go from that. Yeah, oh, fantastic. The ingenuity you guys are using to to, to help, <laughs> help make more cheese is is. Uh, is is very good. I'm I'm, I'm very I'm very pleased that you managed to pull it off. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. No problems at all. Um, so there is a question in the chat, and and this is a good one. Uh, it says uh, Cambodians are not t lactose intolerant. Oh, that is a that is a good question because because it's not in the in the, the daily diet. They don't. Yeah, they they don't eat any at all. So I guess they must be up to a certain points. But I've never, I've never heard any problems about it directly from customers. Yeah, 
Oh, that's, that's Although good. it's not really a problem that you would you would share, really. No, true. You don't you don't share that you're going to bloat the stomach and and maybe the runs as well. So they'll just keep eating your cheese. That'll be fine. Yeah, and uh, we're we're making a couple of different ways. Like uh, we're making some halloumi with camphor pepper on it, and Lovely. then stuff uh, with salted pepper, and then on the outside we have uh, the pepper, mm. and uh, that the locals really love that. The camphor pepper is is amazing on cheese. The the flavor of it is it a not... special type of ch- pepper or? Yeah, it's uh it's world famous, like um, oh. especially in France, obviously because of the culture here. Yeah. Um, but but it, yeah, it's a it's a world famous cheese. And it's not too spicy, but the the flavor is, is amazing, especially yeah. the the salted one. Yeah, and and halloumi <laughs> is just amazing anyway by itself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's also. I think it's maybe our second biggest seller. Maybe is the halloumi. What What words of encouragement would you give any person that was thinking of starting their own business uh, <laughs> in a country that doesn't really have a cheese culture? I, I feel like it's a little bit easier here just because of the lack of permits required and the licenses and everything. Mm. So there's so many challenges that I can't, I can't even imagine from a first world. Um, yeah. just cause I've grown, I've grown up here since I was 10 and, uh, this is like my normal to me. Yeah. Uh, but I would say persistence. And if you make a mistake, you don't just give up on, on that because you're, it's, it's normal that you're going to make mistakes and you have to just figure out what you did wrong and do it properly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And take notes. <laughs> yeah. Take notes. Uh, the, the notes is so important for sure. That's fantastic. Great advice. <laughs> And it's been fan- even with all the technical issues, it's been lovely talking to you. Yeah, and, cheers, uh, it's inspiring to see that you guys are actually giving it a good go. <laughs> it's, it's definitely been a challenge. I appreciate your no problems at all, mate. All right, <laughs> we must get together again soon with a better connection and have a chat. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would love that. I would love all that. right, no drama. We'll schedule that at a later date, and I'll be in contact. How's that sound? Uh, that sounds amazing, Gavin. All right, uh, no, maybe your partner can come along and we can have a, a three-way chat sort of thing. Definitely. He doesn't speak uh, much English, but I feel like uh, the authenticity is there. <laughs> okay. You can translate or whatever. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Good on you, mate. All right, thank you, John, for joining us today. Yeah, you too. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, John, for that interview. Uh, it was great. Uh, the technical difficulties aside, I managed to get a fairly decent recording uh, out of the interview and hopefully you learnt a bit about how you can start your own little cheese factory wherever you may be. Even if you don't, start making cheese in your own kitchen. Anyway, that's all for me this week. We will have another episode next week and it will be with Tutu Saad, And uh, he lives in Bangladesh. So stay tuned for that episode. Well, thanks for listening, Curd Nerds. You'll find my cheesemaking video tutorials on YouTube. And just look for Gavin Webber or type in cheeseman.tv. You can get your cheesemaking kits, supplies and equipment over at our shop at littlegreenworkshops.com.au. If you'd like a personalised message from me, I am available to book via Cameo. Just search for Cheese Man TV.
So stay tuned for the next exciting episode of the Little Green Cheese podcast. During this podcast, you heard royalty-free music by Kevin McLeod. I played Malt Shop Bop and Call to the Dairy Cows. See you later. Bye.